Hello, and welcome to the King Hero IndyCar Podcast with Kirby and Justin. Kirby, how are you? Doing well, Justin. How about yourself? Not bad. Very low-key and sedate intro. It is a very low-key and sedate intro. Do you think, uh, did you find that becoming or not so much? Just out of character. Kirby, um, it's always good to time st- uh, stamp these because, as you know, sometimes it takes a while to edit. And uh, and the world of IndyCar moves so fast that sometimes the news gets ahead of when between when we record and when we publish. I think we'll talk about Detroit because it's not too old yet. It's just uh, the day after. And then uh, I think we can hop into uh, you know random stuff and then maybe Road America picks. All right, sounds good. Um, Detroit, Rock City. Yes. But let's start with why the new course. But I've been unable to kind of hear the definitive why they couldn't go back to Belle Isle. I've heard a plethora of reasons. I'm just wondering which one you pick is the most likely to be true. I think the most prominent reason I heard was that they were impressed with what they'd done in Nashville and were hoping to recreate that type of vibe in uh, Detroit. Okay, I, and I think that's probably the most prevalent one is like uh, you know trying to create an event where they just couldn't get there with Belle Isle. I mean, they did a, a video shot from Belle Isle back to Detroit. It's not like you're talking a big geographic area there. You're probably only talking a couple miles, I would think, right. um, from one to the other. So it's not like uh, they moved it a long way. The other uh, thing that kind of keeps coming up is like Belle Isle was it, it's it's kind of like one of those places like um if you live when I lived in Sydney Australia it's like you lived on one side of the bridge or the other and just the other side of the bridge just was all that far you know or when we when uh I uh when you live in Marin County and you want to go to the city it's just oh it's the city you know what I mean and yeah. I, I'm wondering if Belle Isle is just kind of the same thing it's like oh you gotta go all the way out to Belle Isle Trying to fill in the blanks myself a little bit, I thought, well, Belle Isle is a park. I think it's probably been detractors. And if I understand right, there's no parking out there. So you had to park on the city side of the bridge, Detroit side of the bridge, and uh, take trams or buses or whatever out sure, to sure. the race. And so that's all less convenient, I think. But this way, you know, I, I saw comments where people attended the race, stayed in hotels in downtown Detroit, and it was great to just walk a couple blocks to the track and walk back home when it was over, or back to the hotel when it was over, and and people had a great time. So yeah, I, look, so the, let's get to the nitty gritty uh, of all this. The day before uh, any of the activity started, and even after the first practice day, there were lots of doomsayers about how bad the race was going to be, right? Including us. Including us. I mean, well, I, I don't think we were over the top. We just said we had fears, right? Well, I mean, watching after watching practice, yeah. Yeah, it was hard not to. I mean, was, any rational person, I think, would have fears that the race might not be so good. And then um, you, you start thinking, God, what, what was wrong with Belle Isle? Because I think we, we talked about the last uh, podcast before the last uh, race at Belle Isle. Everybody started singing the praises of how great the track was. Right. And, and here you are going to this kind of short – uh, compromised track, I guess, is the way you would put it. Um, and I was like, wow, you're trading, you know, 
well, it was a pretty racy track for this very – these people aren't stupid. There's reasons that the track is the way the track is, right? In fact, I, feel, sure. I read a few of them today. But at the end of the day, it's – it for all the compromises that they had to make, it's uh, it's relatively short. Um, it's a lot of slow uh, left-hand turns, you know, 90 – and a lot of 90-degree turns. But, uh, you know – so now we've had the race curb, you know, obviously everybody's thrown their opinion out. So where stand you on everything? Well, I thought the race was pretty entertaining. I was pleasantly surprised um, by the quality of the race. I think some of the yellow flags or the errors really had nothing to do with the track. You know, if you wanted to show off Detroit, uh, I thought it showed off Detroit fairly well. You know, the hospitality suites look very nice. Yeah. I, I I really like the double pit lane, actually. I think yeah. Made for really, I don't know, viewing area, whatever you want to call it, because you could see the whole thing right in front of you. It wasn't, you know, in a normal pits setup, you can only see a handful of pits in front of you, right? And uh, this is more like a, an arena kind of thing. I thought it looked kind of cool. Yeah. Look, I mean, so there were naysayers about that. There were naysayers about the course. There were naysayers about how the racing was going to be. And I think – all in all, um, they were kind of proven wrong. Like it was, a, it was an entertaining race. I agree with you 100% on the yellows. I mean, even the one at the beginning, you know, Eilat, it was a driver error. Eilat just ran straight into the back of Kirkwood. Ray Hall, on a yellow lap, decided that he was going to run into the wall and just put himself out of his misery. That that can hardly be blamed <laughs> on the track. Right. Um, Stingray Rob is Stingray Rob. Stingray Rob is becoming our most hated driver um, right. and lived up to it. Uh, unforced errors by uh, Grosjean and Malukas, and even Award, he was uh, desperate. I'm, I'm not sure that wasn't any more, any less of a, a misery wreck than than Ray Hall. <laughs> I think he just like, get me the hell out of here. <laughs> where's, the, where's the nearest wall? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's almost, it almost struck that way. Now, all in all, uh, hats off to IndyCar, hats off to Penske Entertainment, hats off to Bud Decker and whoever else deserves all the credit. I mean, an actually very entertaining race on a very, you know, let's be honest, substandard course, but I thought it was a good day. All in all. Why do you think curb, you know, there are comparisons to Nashville and, and Detroit, right. You know, tight confines, you know, kind of Mickey Mouse course, you know, for, for reasons. Why do you think Detroit flowed better in its first round than Nashville uh, has in in its first couple rounds? And again, you know, I, I like to pick on the city side of the bridge and the Nashville course. Um, that is just an unnatural. You go from so fast to so slow, and it really narrows down entirely. I think at, at Nashville, or I mean at Detroit there, you had that very long straightaway. But it was reasonably wide on that. It didn't quite a hairpin, but pretty much of a hairpin, right? Where they, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like the. the it's like the, a, almost like a double apex hairpin. Yeah. Okay. There you go. And um, so I think it slowed down naturally there before they go into those slow sections. And I think it, with that wide double apex, as you call it, and even a reasonably wide exit out of that double apex before you start going into the tight, slow turns, you have less chance, I think, for an accordion effect. You know, those guys are going in single file to that section at Nashville, and one thing happens and there's no way there's nobody can get by anybody. Right. You just, the streets blocked right away. And I think it's, if they could just clean up that end of the track in Nashville, I think it'd be great. Of course, it's all going to go to pot here in a year, I guess, right. With the new stadium. But um, I think that's the, the, you know, the really rinky dink part of the Nashville course. If they can clean that up, I think they'd have a, a viable track. 
court when I was in Nashville, I, I ran that course on three different occasions. Yeah. Uh, literally ran it, okay. um, you know, jogged it. And um, say there wasn't an obvious better solution for the downtown part of it that I could see, honestly. Well, what I heard or read was if they could go one block further. They could. I, I looked at that and I, I'm not, I, I remember running that. I mean, how crazy is this that I'm running my <laughs> talking about around any court? I'm insane. But you got to get your run in somewhere, right? Oh, you know? yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, anything beats uh, the convention. I was, you know, actually going to work there. So right. I looked at it and I was like, ah, I'm not even sure that'd be a whole hell of a lot better. I think the fact that it was kind of standard 90 degree uh, turns and corners for the most part also probably had a uh, an effect there to kind of prevent some of the madness. I do think the runoff areas are pretty tight. Um, I know Bud Decker said he could probably widen one of them by you know three or four, you know a few feet. Uh, the other one that was much harder to widen, but that would help. That would help people from stalling in the runoff area. I la Stingray Rob. Great race. I mean, it was entertaining to the end, and the end was entertaining despite kind of being a little stop-starty. And uh, let's face it, uh, a deserving winner, wouldn't you say? Oh, without a doubt. Class of the field. Uh, no doubt. He was he was the class of the field. Power had great strategy. I mean, they chose the right strategy for him, and then I think he drove a very good race. He wasn't in Palau's category. And let's face it, Kerb, uh, in these, this day and age with the cars been around as long as they had and, you know, basically a spec car and so forth, I mean, to run away from a field is is something to, of note. And uh, I think Palau's done it a few times here. Uh, you know, the guy's, the guy's on fire. He is. Uh, you go back to the, the last race of last year, the 30-second win there, uh, which is remarkable. I think he's going to be tough to beat the rest of the way. Yeah. Some New Gardens, more of his favorite tracks coming up, but... Uh, he may win him, but Palau be right there behind him, I would think. It's going to be bittersweet for the chipster to lose him after he wins it for him. I, I still don't understand why he'd leave. <laughs> I, 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 I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if Chip doesn't make a representative offer. He will, uh, but I'll, I'll, t- I'll I, I, I'm going to give you the same answer I've given you before, uh, and I'm 100 percent right. Formula one, one, blah 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 blah. But um, it's not blah 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 blah. That's the reason. I know, but I'm just saying that's a pipe dream too. I'm not so sure. I mean, uh, I, I don't think you can say that definitively. It's a pipe dream with McLaren. I'm not sure you can say that definitively. It's not like well, Piastri said the he's world still, he's still, in, he's still in love with Lando Norris, isn't he? Lando's there, but it's not like Piastri's setting the world on fire. And I, you know, at this point, uh, I don't think they're upset with him, but I, I, I don't think he's, he's exactly killing it. And I think if Palau could demonstrate that, he could kill it, and let's face it, he had a really good test, uh, uh, you know, first practice one or free practice one, as I know you're about to correct me on. Mm-hmm. Um, Texas there in Coda. He's all uh, Piastri's, you know, in 13th, Norris is in 11th, so you'd say he's not doing terrible uh, sustaining so far. But, you know, a lot of things can happen, right? And a lot of things can open up, and, I, I you know, I think Plow's putting himself in the conversation where if he signs up with the chipster, he can't even be in that conversation. And let's face it, that's what he wants to be. He wants to be in that conversation. Okay, but he's signed up with the chipster now, and he still gets to be a test driver or whatever you call it. Why couldn't that be the same in a future chipster contract? I just think he feels that via McLaren he has, a you know, one extra arrow in the quiver, that being – uh, McLaren themselves. I mean, if that's all it's about, then then maybe uh, McLaren has an offer that can't be beat. But 
right now he's kicking uh, McLaren's ass, and uh, I don't know why he'd want to leave the situation he's in. Other uh, Formula One aside, no other reason than Formula One, I guess, for him to make a move, assuming Chip would would make a substantial offer. I mean, he's he's the ideal successor to to Scott Dixon on that team. And of course just, he is, but I I think he's you know in his mind at this point in his career he's got bigger fish to fry. He's already signed to McLaren. It, it might not you know be official, but I think it's a done deal anyways. So Palau's hearts wants to be an F1. I mean, and he thinks he has a half a shot. That's you said it. He's the perfect successor to Scott Dixon. I think he looks at that and is like, I don't want to be Scott Dixon. I want to be Max Verstappen. Well, I know that's hard for you to understand, but I think that's the case. Uh, Look, he's European, and maybe he'd like to be able to live back in Europe again, all that stuff. Uh, that's I understand. I just think it's a long shot. Okay. Well, I I think he's got a shot, which is maybe the same, the, the same way to say it. Let's talk about a guy who has crashed four times in seven races. Stingray Rum. And raced in F1. With a similar M.O.? And where's a Richard Mille watch? Um, I'm assuming we're talking about Mr. Grosjean. We are. I think you would say that this is uh, consistent with his Formula One MO. Uh, it was his reputation coming to IndyCar that he was a wrecker of cars and was his reputation in uh, Formula One. I, I I think it's watching, starting, to look, starting to look like that's Axe 100% true. Watching him in that uh, in his cockpit following that accident, I got the sense he's a desperate man. He just needs to finish a few races here. He'd be fine. Started off very well, right? The first, what, four races or so? Even even the races where he'd had accidents. He was competitive. He won two poles. Uh, Rex out of the 500 again. You know, he, he was in a decent position, right? In yep. top six or seven. And Rex on his own here. And I wonder if, you know, I just wonder if he doesn't have a new deal signed yet with Andretti and whether he's starting to worry about uh, getting that deal. I mean, I get what you're saying. I can't disagree with it, but I, I would think he would just say, you know what? I just need to finish a couple of these races. Like, this is good enough. Michael's going to want me if I just, you know, finish here and, you know, able to get some poles. I can prove I'm fast. And when I got the car to win on that day, I'm going to win. But now, you know, if you're Michael Andretti, you got to be like, God, this guy can't seem to keep it between the walls. He needs to straighten up and fly right or he's going to he's going to be stressing towards the end of this year for sure. Right. Speaking of mistakes, I mean, um, award seems to be, you know, uh, 500 and now here at Detroit, he seems to be kind of making what I'll I'll call uh, youthful mistakes. Would you agree with that? Seems to be pressing for some reason. Um, I don't take a smart move at Indy, and I don't know what the hell he was thinking there at uh, at Detroit, uh, trying to make that pass in that section. You know, he didn't a little bit of patience, and he gets Ferrucci convenient passing zone with no problem right so yeah why you know why the the need to do that there and his explanation afterward made no sense to me so yeah um, it was kind of a wreckers or checkers type of explanation well, like, like oh you know if i i was about to get passed by Pelot and if i didn't you know, get out of there i would have been a lap down and lost the race anyway so it's yeah. i lose it one way or the other well, I'm just dumb i mean they're just dumb overly aggressive and youthful is where i categorize it been touting his maturity for a couple of years now and uh, and it's not uh, it's, it's ringing kind of hollow. Yeah, has not demonstrated uh, much in the past couple races. Curb, I'm gonna. Uh, are you sitting down? I am. I am. You know that Mike Hall is one smug <laughs> mf'er. 
That was one condescending interview, wasn't it? <laughs> oh my God. You're right. He is smug. It offended me. And I, yeah. you know, I had some tolerance for it. <laughs> right. I don't know if he was mad at the interviewer or something or what. I was like, man, you're just, oh, this is bad. It is kind of it's like a stupid question or whatever. It didn't matter, you know. But yeah, oh my God. It's like, could you be more smug? I mean, but it, it, it's standard in race interview with a, a team manager or whatever, right? I mean, it's yeah. what they all do. That's the questions they all ask. It's not, it wasn't anything unique about it. It was just, I, was, I couldn't believe his answer. Yeah, it floored me. You know who I uh, really like on the stand these days? Brian Herta. He, you know, every time they, they have a radio of him to whoever, he's just saying the right thing, being, you know, it, it just makes me wonder, like, Colton Herta must want his dad back on that stand. I mean, Brian Herta just seems to have it together, in my view. Uh, he does. I think I'm sure seems to always have the right thing to say and is, is, is straightforward and blunt without being a jerk about it, you know? You know, I mean, look, Colton Herta wasn't doing that great with his dad on the stand, so... um. I don't think anything's really changed for Colton Herta since they made that switch. So that's a whole different story, I think. I don't, it's a mystery what's going on with Colton Herta, I think. Yeah, that is true. I mean, there is a great video out there um, that you can dig up uh, to our listeners of Colton Herta presenting his dad, I think, with the car he won his last race in. Yeah. yeah as a gift. And, 98, uh, 98 Laguna Seca, I think, or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Anyways, it's a great video. It's worth watching. I would encourage anybody to watch it. I think you get some insight into Brian Hurd a little bit there, too, like insight into his personality and so forth. I, I found it uh, It was a good video, despite the videographer. Right. I mean, he, aside from when he inserts himself into the story. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. It was a good uh, – you could tell that Brian Hurd is moved, but he's still, you know, very uh, – objective or whatever the word is so, yes yeah stoic uh, stoic yeah and um so yeah but i i agree that was really nice and even it even humanizes colton a little bit more than maybe you're used to seeing at the track uh agreed 100 percent uh check it out if you can uh one of my favorite moments of detroit curb and it was actually i believe it was it was actually maybe qualification or one of the practices i forget which and then a million times during the race was when Kevin Lee was interviewing Flavor Flav okay. um, the first time. The, the real star of the weekend, Flavor Flav. <laughs> but you can't get a more straight up, you know, straight laced guy than Kevin Lee. And then there's Flavor Flav, you know. <laughs> right. And it was the, 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 I think it happened during, I want to say it was practice, but it might have been during qualifying. It might have been during qualifying, but it is the funniest interview ever because it's like, it would be like you interviewing Flavor Flav. <laughs> right. It was just fantastic. It was fantastically awkward and uh, I loved it. And, um, and then, of course, Flavor Flav is like, he got more screen time than most, most of the drivers uh, during the race, to say the least. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. They <laughs> were. Uh, leave it to NBC to over, to overkill something, but yeah, it was uh, um, he he was entertaining. He worked the price of admission. Uh, big fan. I've met Flavor Flav. He's a very nice guy, and uh, my wife and I gambled with him in Vegas. And uh, he's a he's a actually a very very pleasant individual, fun to be around. I am a huge fan of the series Flavor of Love, which is maybe the funniest show ever re- reality show ever produced. Um, where. Yeah. Very, 
various women of various type uh, compete for flavors uh love <laughs> i've never heard of that one. Oh, curb you gotta watch it you got it just watch the first two scenes the third one maybe not so good but the first two uh tv gold tv gold flavor of love um, oh, and you don't know where to find that one do you uh, you can find it. You just look it up. It's it's a. I, I managed to download both series and watch them, and uh, uh, just entertainment from beginning to end. Um, so I got a lot of time for Flavor Flav. I hope he continues uh, to show up at races because I actually find him entertaining. Love Public Enemy. Always love their music. But but beside that, Flavor Flavor Flav is is hysterical and uh, and a nice guy. And uh, a lot of these guys, you know, could take him or leave him. But I'd love to see him at IndyCar races. Well, maybe uh, Will Power can get into the 500 next year. <laughs> I think Will Power is loving it too, man. He's like, yeah. I'm dropping the mic right here. If not uh, Will Power, then Kevin Lee, one of the two between the two of them. Then get <laughs> Those two together are gold, gold. So as, as happy as uh, Flavor Flav uh, appeared to be there, uh, could you say the same for Graham Rahal? Graham Rahal. We've been talking about it all year, and it's funny how sometimes, you know, when we start talking about things, that it just keeps manifesting itself. But if wrecking, you know, during a yellow into a wall, you know, it's just a simple 90 degree turn doesn't scream, maybe it's time. I don't know what does. I don't know if I've ever seen a driver, maybe maybe Sarah Fisher, when they wrecked her last car and she didn't have any cars left in her team, was the last time I seen somebody so miserable. To be interviewed after an accident on track. I mean, he just yeah. seemed like he could want to be anywhere else in the world. But you know what? Give uh, so I'm gonna give him props. Number one, he he stood out for the world to see and took it like a man, right? Sure, sure. You know, most drivers I don't think would even show up for that interview. They don't even want to talk about it, right? Right. Um, and I think he gave a very frank and earnest interview. I, you know, you can tell that. He's questioning everything, I think, including his participation, right, at this right. point. And, um, you know, so I think I'm, you know, I was always kind of, you know, middle of the range on Graham Rahal. Wasn't a lover, wasn't a hater, but, you know, I'm starting to like him a lot more now that he's kind of giving these interviews and kind of frank assessments. And, you know, he's talking more like a businessman talks. And I, you know, I kind of like that, actually. I don't disagree with any of that, but he still seemed like a miserable human being on that interview. <laughs> Lois Lowe's. Especially for him, I would think. Curb, um, before we uh, dive into picks, uh, and I'll, this may shock you, the, the last F1 race in Spain was an absolute snoozer. Really? And Verstappen won. Wow. Good to know. I, that's a surprise, but good to know. So I didn't even watch the race. Um, I just read that it was an absolute you know, runaway Verstappen victory. That prompted me to say, this has got to be killing like Drive to Survive, right? It's got to be... It's got to be starting its trend downward, right? I mean, how how often can people watch this and say, "Oh, that was entertaining"? Is it the chicken or the egg? It's, is is the is the actual season the letdown following the real or created drama on Drive to Survive? Well, I don't know if you're if you're if you're implying that DTS is the chicken or the egg, but whatever it is, it's still it, the ratings this year were up up massively again. You mean Drive to Survive, or do you mean yeah, Drive to Survive? Yeah, well, I mean, I I just think the people that enjoy Drive to Survive might continue to enjoy Drive to Survive for the TV show it is, and then just stop watching the races. <laughs> I mean, it's just yeah, but are they going to attend the races? That's that's kind of the bigger thing. I mean, because you got to drop a bomb to go to one of those things now. I mean, I think Vegas is going to be a happening at least for the first year. 
right? Yeah, yeah, it will be. It might be for a couple of years, but if they can't put on a more entertaining product than that, I don't know how it, how, how that continues. We've seen some of this. We've seen them come and go. It seems likely to me that, you know, F1's not going to just kind of go from strength to strength, that, you know, some of this will fade. But uh, no signs of it yet, let's say. Kurt for picks, Road America. You know, it's a couple weeks away still, but uh, but we're going to have to do this because uh, our schedules dictate uh, it. Um, I I didn't really want to lay down too much betting advice on Detroit because I think a new course, it was just anybody's pick. It was it was, it was just random. You might as well just uh, like bingo or something. Um, so I, I didn't really feel like that was a good, good course to bet on. Road America, a little bit more history. You can kind of pick some favorites here and so forth. But Curb, uh, you you have at it. Your first shot. I got to take Blau. Yeah. <laughs> Tried to rationalize some other pick, but I'm going to take No, Blau. there's uh, the guy's on fire. He's dry, I mean, like I said, he ran away. He, he, there's everything seems to be right with that guy right now and I I I would have picked him if you didn't. Um, right. I'm going to have to go with last year's winner, Joe New, who I think is still driving well. It's I think Road America is definitely a track that he excels at. So I'm, I'm uh, I think I feel safe in making that pick. No, I, that was my struggle. Uh, was Blue and Nugo Nugo because I knew New Garden's got such a strong history there. And so it's you know for that reason I'm going to go with Will Power with my next pick. I uh, really liked Will's uh, driving. I mean I like Will's attitude again this year. It's amazing, you know, after a disappointing qualifying, he just kind of yeah, you know whatever. I made a mistake, blah blah blah, you know, and then he just powers through in the race uh, up to second. He he's happy with second. He's like, God, ah, didn't have anything for Palau, so it's all good. You know, just great attitude this year. I don't know if I'm picking him third like you did. I'd love to see him win. I was rooting for him all the way in Detroit, and I'm going to be rooting for him the rest of the season. Well, I agree. I'd like to see him win. I'd like to see him pick up a pole or two to keep uh, that reputation going. Uh, my next choice is going to be um, Mr. Award. Again, this is a track for that he seems to be speedy at. Okay. Still a lot of good choices, I think, um, but I'm going to I'm gonna go with um, Dixon. He's had a lot of success in this track, too, I think, so. I'll take a chance on Dixon. He has. He qualified ninth last year, which caused me some reticence about him there. It's a good safe pick, I guess. Um, and, you know, if he goes off at a little higher odds, then, uh, you know, maybe not a bad place to put your money. I'm going to go with uh, Alexander Rossi. Playing on the McLaren team, huh? Like the McLaren team, like the Cutter Jib as of late. Rossi was not with... Uh, McLaren last year, but he did get a pole position. Rossi excels at this track. I think he's got a fast car. He's got increased confidence. You know, he could be a contender. I admit it's a little bit more of an outside pick. Uh, you know, I'm sure your next pick curb would be uh, safer, but uh, I, I kind of like the I kind of like Rossi here. Well, I'll do that. I'll go ahead with Rosenquist. Ooh, wow. Uh, we didn't mention his uh, the side of his only win. Yeah. But, we, but what we didn't mention was nice, gritty drive in Detroit. Uh, probably should have mentioned that. I mean, really, that that was that was the meanest Rosenquist I've seen in some time. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I like it. The so people who want to complain about that kind of driving, you know, don't drive in Detroit. I mean, I, that track sets itself up for what do they say, right? Elbows out, driving, or whatever you want to call it. And, yeah, I uh, think I think Rossi's comments were again maybe he of the moment stuff, but it was kind of ridiculous. I mean, 
he had nothing to complain about there. Uh, I think Erickson, uh, McLaughlin. Erickson, again, going unloved, is second in the point. Yeah. Uh, Herta, if he's on his game, you know, if he qualifies well. I think guys who could do well that you can't count on him doing well, but could do well. Lungard, Eilat, uh, this could be their kind of place. Uh, Armstrong. Uh, great point. You know, Armstrong's still learning, mm-hmm. I think, but but uh, and that's a bigger track to learn, but. Could be a good spot for Grosjean if Andretti's on their game too. Fifth half the field, right? Yeah, least. we just pretty much put half the field in there. So you gotta watch. You gotta watch how they're doing in practice. You gotta watch how they're doing in qualifying. Always look for the guy who's doing well every session. That's always a, a strong pick. I really care to elaborate. It would be between Scotty M and Erickson for that last spot there. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, there's two weeks until Road America. Do you expect uh, any driver movement? I don't, but. Uh, Jack Harvey's got to be on his last legs, I would assume. He happens to be holding on to the last leader circle spot at the moment with 78 points. So, you know, I look at guys like, you know, it's got to kill Dale Coyne to not get the leader circle money, doesn't it? I mean, not, that not wouldn't be positive. Figuratively. Uh, he's, he's, cer- he's currently in last place, 23 points out of the leader circle. Um, with Stingray Rob. Yeah, well, I think Stingray's paying his, paying his, uh, board so I, I can't believe he's paying the full freight yeah i don't know uh so if he's not maybe um but uh i'm guessing he is um he's paying enough of it where he's not gonna gonna do that but uh jack harvey's gotta be the one you're thinking of there um i would think um connor daly i <laughs> i would say it but i think connor daly is the one who bought bitten island and, and it's not like you know ed carpenter racing's knocking out of the park anywhere I'm, I'm astonished that Bitnell seems to be on all the cars now and not just on dailies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it yeah. just seems remarkable. And daily seems, or that that uh, Todd Alt seems to be loyal to daily, so I think he's probably safe. But uh, Pagano's still on the outside looking in. I don't know. I look at I look at Rob and Harvey as uh, two possibilities there. Okay. All right, Carp, gotta go. Twitter at Hero IndyCar at H I R O IndyCar. Uh, enjoy the weekend off uh, coming up, and uh, we'll talk to you again after Road America, I'm guessing. Is that correct? Correct. All right. Take care. Good night. <laughs>